재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Some years ago I started calling myself Ginger Peter Sherlock Rosemary Emmanuel The Archbishop of Canterbury You may know me better as The Real Slim Shady Rumoured to be the new signing for Westminster and the Thames. And I just love to ride horses. But only if the Banjo Union Bolt has been correctly fitted. First chapter. It is time again for first chapter. We read you an excerpt from a different book every Sunday morning, usually from the exposition. Today's book is Yi Inhua's Yongwonan Jeguk, or Everlasting Empire. Yi Inhua is a novelist, critic, and academic who hasn't written many books, but the few that he's written have been critically and commercially successful. Everlasting Empire is one of those books. Based on the assassination conspiracy theory of King Chongzhou, the 22nd king of Joseon Dynasty who reigned from 1776 to 1800, Everlasting Empire is a classic tale of political intrigue in the Joseon court. I'll be back with the story after Hong Songhua singing Pungunjiga, the song of wind, cloud, and earth. The track was featured in a TV series also based on the assassination conspiracy theory of King Chengzhou. Please enjoy. Everlasting Empire by Yi Inhua. It was before the first light, dawn. The north wind kicked Pukan Mountain, growled and buffeted the hills above Waryongdong, and flailed about like the edge of a sharp knife. Among the high pavilions and sleeping quarters that lined the hill, leaves swept into the darkness of the dawn. The leaves covered with patches of frost that made them glisten like silver paper were scattered as far as Tonhua Gate. The night duty office of the Royal Library was situated in the back court of Changdeok Palace. Librarian Yin Mong heard a voice deep in his sleep. It came from behind him, far, far behind him, where his eyes couldn't reach, from a mysterious darkness. It spouted from the dust of time and it flashed through him like lightning. His eyelids seemed weighed down by a thousand stones. He turned toward the voice as if someone tugged from behind. At that very moment, he opened his eyes. A perplexed expression crossed his face. He lay in a room lined with shelves of old books. Dust and mildew permeated the air. Lying on his bedding stretched out on the floor, he looked up at the ceiling layered with pale wallpaper. Was he dreaming? A thin film of mist spread over his gaze. Sir, 
an actual voice. Sir, I brought you water to wash up with. Inmong jerked upright and drank from the cup by his pillow. A gust of wind rustled the paper doors. The flapping sound echoed in Inmong's ears. The wind must have been whipping all night long. Songhan, yes, sir. You ordered me to wake you before Byushi and. Still sitting, Inmong dragged himself to the doors and slid them open. A chill mist rushed in, borne on the wind. Outside, Hyun Songhan, the library clerk, stood awkwardly before the narrow veranda that ran the length of the chamber. There, he had placed a basin of water along with a cotton cloth and soap powder wrapped in a scrap of mulberry paper. It was still pitch dark. You may go. Yes, sir. It was the nineteenth day of the first lunar month of the twenty-fourth year in the reign of King Jongjo, eighteen hundred. This was how Yin Mong, who had turned twenty-nine with the new year, had met this fateful day. Even now, after many years and countless events, he still recalled that dawn with a sigh, and with deep regret and disquiet. He slid the door shut and rubbed his eyes, ignorant of the events about to unfold. In his sleepy days, the small room where he had fallen asleep in the early morning hours, after having stayed on duty at the library, seemed oddly unfamiliar. It hadn't yet registered that he was not at home, but in the Grand Palace. He looked around, his eyes bloodshot. The bed he had just wriggled out of looked desolate without him. He slept by himself, whether at home or the palace. Leaning back against the high threshold, he stared at the bedding stretched out on the floor and felt a chill of pale loneliness deep within his heart. He sat all alone in the darkness. He had been alone for a long time, a long, long time—not a year or two, but many, many years, a hundred years, two hundred years, perhaps more. Bewildered as a shaman whose spirit has departed by his own rites, he thought of the dream where his soul had rested until moments before. An icy tremor spread through his body. His head felt like it was whirling toward the ceiling. He had been dreaming about his wife, the woman from whom he had been forced to separate. What did the dream mean? As he recalled the dream, everything in the room became unfamiliar: the quilt, the books, the bookshelves, the desk, even his own self. He rubbed his face and moaned to himself, "Sanga." He felt as if he were submerged in water. At the thought of his wife's name, tears welled in his eyes. He had expelled Sanga from his house, commanded by a fate he considered irresistible. It was a memory he wished to escape, if possible. Nevertheless, he could not forget her face, even after six long years. There it was, etched in black, in his memory, like a tattoo. He would never be able to escape the memory of her face, no matter how long he lived. It will soon be light, he thought as he gazed at the small window.
Over the eastern hill behind the Sonyang chamber, warm sunlight would appear in a multicolored burst and the dream would vanish once more, swept up into the dust suspended in the air, swept into blue-green time, where it was neither dream nor reality. The dream would become a dark, fragile sorrow unable to withstand the bright light of day. He swallowed and pictured the face that would recede to the dark reaches of his memory. The dream returned. He was strolling in a familiar pine forest on a path strewn with cones. A scarlet sunset, blood-red light filtering down hazily all around. Not a soul was visible. As he walked and walked on the seemingly endless path, he suddenly realized he was at the entrance to Itaewon, where he had lived before passing the national examination more than ten years earlier. There was no reason he should be here. Ah, it's a dream, he thought. I'm only dreaming. A sudden flurry of sights, scenes, and sounds rushed by. He could see the low hill he used to climb with Sanga. There they would gaze at the sky as it turned red in the evening. The bamboo platform under the Zalkova tree appeared, where he would improvise and recite poems, casually fanning himself. A cool breeze danced through the lush and verdant forest, while cicadas screeched painfully. Then he was walking along a dark alley lined with low thatch huts. The rundown huts were illuminated by dim lanterns. A melody from a song of sorrows drifted in the wind. Make the spirit in your dream walk. Make it leave traces. Then half the pavement in front of the house will crumble to sand. Hey, can't live because I miss my love so much. Inmong walked on, surrounded by garbage, broken roof tiles, eggshells, putrid red carcasses. He passed through several narrow, wet, dark alleys strewn with trash. As he turned a corner, an old thatched house came into view with a vegetable garden. He heard the worn thicket door rattle in the wind and was overwhelmed with emotion. His old house. The scent of pine mingled with Chinese junipers and arbor vitae. A late spring evening, it seemed. There she was, passing from the kitchen to the courtyard. He glimpsed her through walls covered with vines and spindle trees. His heart pounded with anxiety. He found himself drawn inside the house as if by a cord. How was it possible? What kind of dream was this? He shut his eyes. He heard footsteps and the rustling of a long skirt, then deer, and a silky hand tugging at the loose end of his sleeve. Immong opened his eyes wide and looked at his wife. She looked exactly as he remembered her. My wife. Everything came to a stop momentarily. I... What did I do next? Was it something that happened in the dream or something that had happened in real life? When I saw my wife, what did I do then? He rummaged through the details of his dream, oblivious to the growing light from the small window of his room. The songs of forgetfulness drew closer, like a voice in the mist. Imong recalled his wife's leading him inside by the hand. Then she warmed some wine and prepared some food to go with it. The next moment she was running into the kitchen, then out to the yard, her high voice as fresh as the chirping of a cricket. 
The moon rose over the reed fields that stretched to the river from his front gate. we played in between were more tracks featured in Korean historical period films. The first song was Cho Seung-woo's 꽃이 피고 지듯이 or As Flowers Bloom and Fall. The second song was Yi Soo-young singing Mung or Dream. Today I read from Yi In-hwa's Yeongwonan Jeguk or Everlasting Empire translated by Yu Young-nan. The translation was published in 2002 by Eastbridge. Copies are available any place where books are sold. It is time for this week's quote, which comes from Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Are Dead by Tom Stoppard. The bad end unhappily, the good unluckily. That is what tragedy means. Once again, that was from Rosencrantz and Guildenstern Are Dead by Tom Stoppard. We have arrived at the end of our show. To learn more about next week's topic, please visit our website. I'm Jamie Chang. Have a wonderful week. And I'll be back next Sunday at 10 with another brand new installation of The Bookend. Taking us out is Wait For It from the musical Hamilton, based on the life of Alexander Hamilton. Please enjoy. writes me a letter every day I'm keeping her bed warm while her husband is away he's on the British side in Georgia